What does it take to have a successful career as a designer? Let's find out with today's guest, John Fluvog. Welcome to our first episode of Question Everything, where we connect young leaders with experts in entrepreneurship, publishing, and design. I'm your host, Carly Sotis, and I'm excited to be here at the Fluvog store in Gastown, Vancouver, with the one and only John Fluvog. I first met John and his wife Ruth through our mutual friends in New York a few years ago, and I've since fallen in love with Fluvog shoes and the creativity that the brand represents. John has been in the shoe business for more than 45 years and has 20 Fluvog stores located throughout Canada and the U.S. His shoes are truly designed for creative souls and have been worn by celebrities like Madonna, Whoopi Goldberg, and Scarlett Johansson. In today's episode, we learn how John began his career as a designer and discuss what the most important characteristics young employees and entrepreneurs must have to be successful. John talks about the importance of staying true to yourself and to your vision and shares the most important lesson that he's learned through 45 years of experience. So thank you so much for being with us today, John. Yeah, I know people can't see it because we're on radio, but I, you know, I am not in a wheelchair, <laughs> even though I have been in business for like 40, I think 47 years or something. Wow. How did you first begin your career in design? Well, I didn't set out to be a designer. I've never been to school for design. Um, I didn't even do art in high school. I played the trumpet, which <laughs> hasn't done me a lot of good. <laughs> Uh, so I kind of, I can I always say I came at it from a back door. Um, it was not my chosen career, but um, I started um, in business with a, a man named Peter Fox, who was my partner, business partner, in 1970, and it just kind of progressed from there. And I guess if you look at a, a snapshot of it, you'd say, well, or I would say I, I did it because I needed to make a living. As simple as that. Was it scary for you to begin your business and to make the first step to go in it by yourself? Well, everybody's got a different story, right? My, and it's people come up to me often. Well, people, young people, or people in arts, or they want to get into design. They come up and say to me, "John, how did you start?" And I find it's always a little bit cruel when I tell them that I just sort of fell into it. I didn't, I have no training. Um, I, I didn't sort of work at it. I did, but I didn't. So first of all, um, when I was 21 years old, I'm working in a shoe store. Um, the guy who's managing the store decides to go out on his own. He mentions it to me, and one thing led to another, and he goes to my father, who is kind of a friend of his as well, and asked if my dad would lend him any money. And my dad wasn't really wealthy, but my dad said to him, okay, I'll lend you this $13,000 if you make my son, that'd be me, a 50% partner. Mm -hmm. And that's actually how I started. It wasn't my idea, put it that way. I sort of fell into it. And as my career evolved, I, you know, I mentioned to you, it was sort of like having to make a living while well, I'm in partnership with 10 years with a guy who's 15 years my senior. And quite and really good at what he did, and I would say he paved the way for me or showed me the way. And ten years la la uh, later, I, I bought him out and was on my own. So that was probably the really scary part. And um, I came to a point maybe six years after that, like in the mid '80s, where um, it was a turning point. I was probably bankrupt or close to it, and um, I made a decision to start doing my own shoes. 
I'm wondering, what was your upbringing like? And when you were 21, you know, what was your attitude towards business and entrepreneurship? Well, I hate, you know, I, back in my day, um, <laughs> but it is sort of like back in my day. There wasn't as many obstacles, at least in my mind. Um, and I don't think in anybody's mind um, there was things came easier, I think. And there was a, a general upswing of the economy and how things were. It was just a little easier. It didn't seem so complex or confusing. I know that you did a hitchhiking trip down the West Coast in the 60s. And was that before or after you began? Oh, that was before. That was before. Yeah, I lived, you know, I did sort of the typical 60s. I lived in a commune in Palo Alto, California with a bunch of guys and, uh, you know, crazy things running around naked in the backyard. <laughs> Although I didn't do that, of course. And, uh, yeah, I think I've always been um, alternative. Uh, I've, I've grown up mm-hmm. in a, I grew up you know, in the 70s where it was alternative. And I find the funny thing I find now about the industry I'm in is how young people aren't alternative. Mm. <laughs> they're, they're, uh, they're fed mainstream things and they do mainstream thing. You know, I don't know how to put it. It's like, so one of the biggest fashion items right now is our, our Nike shoes and everyone's wearing Nike. Well, and back in my day in the, 60s, that would be just unheard of that a large company would be telling the younger generation what they should wear, what they should do, or how they should do it. And so I find it funny that all these artists, hip-hop artists and people are are um, getting you know, sponsorship money and all that kind of stuff from these some of the biggest companies in the world. So I find that that's quite different. Why do you think young people are afraid to be different and to be alternative? I, um... I think it's, it's really it's it's a complicated reason. I don't know obviously exactly what that would be, but I know that when my kids grew up, they were we probably we did everything for them. We drove them to you know swimming and soccer and dancing and whatever it was. And and you know when I grew up, we just we if we wanted to go. Uh, and be involved in something extracurricular, having my parents drive me to that would have been unheard of. And you just go, you know, maybe if you needed a few bucks to join something, you'd go ask your parents and then you go off and do it. So maybe it's more of an independence. Mm, for sure. I studied design in university, and I think it can be really tempting to do things that you think your professor will like or what you think other people will mm-hmm. like. And how have you created designs that are so unique and kind of done your own thing while also appealing to your audience and customers? Well, now, uh, the statement I'm going to make now, I don't think it's true now as it was, but back when I started designing in the 80s, there was nobody doing it here. There was no there was no footwear companies, one, and there was nobody doing it. And design itself wasn't even um, cherished or... It wasn't, it wasn't such an interest in design in general. So what I did was I, you know, I had no design background. So I was, I remember thinking to myself, well, how, how do you do this? Right? How do you, you know, like I want to do my own shoes. Like, what are they going to look like? Well, they can't look like anybody else's because then they'll look like everybody else's. So I think what you do is you do original things. Well, how do you do that? I go, well, I don't, you, so you just do whatever comes to you, right? Oh, that's what you do. So I remember seeing a few things that influenced me. And I went, okay, I'll just do this because it feels right to me. 
You've also spoken about how you've received some of your inspiration from cars. Yeah, cars. Well, I've, I've always, growing up in the 50s, and I grew up in an, actually in an ice, believe it or not, I grew up in an ice cream drive-in next to a high school. So you talk about 50s culture, I, it was there, right? DuckTales and, and cars are a big part of the culture. And what, and what people and young people did with their cars in terms of the, uh, the way they customized them. It was all part of, it was really part of the culture. So yes, I was influenced by that. You've been a designer and entrepreneur for more than 45 years. And what do you think some of the biggest things are that have changed over the years? You mentioned that design wasn't as cherished as it is now and maybe as difficult to get into. Well, there's a sense that it is um, we're entering a time or or in a time where small people can do really big things. Mm And it never was before. There was a big divide. It was a divide between large companies that had all the resources and small people who had none. And now that is not that is not true, as you know, right. with um, internet companies and small people doing startups and turning into big things. And um, and we can all individually make a living by a lot of us by working at home by doing small bits and parts of things and doing them on our own. And I like to think what I like about um, what's happening now is that uh, people are, in one sense, I complain that they're that they're not being individuals, but on the other side, I see a great amount of individualism happening where people are doing things like on their own or doing things that feel right to them. I would say that they're being more human, mm-hmm. and in their humanity, they're they're just traveling down roads that feel right to them. And there's a freedom in that, and there's also, um, you know, uh, great creative expression. So I think we're going into a, a period of a lot more creative expression than what I grew up with uh, years ago. So it's exciting. That is exciting. How has your design process changed and adapted over the years? Well, there's, you know, when I started in business, like we'll, we'll go in the 80s, even 70s, 80s, none of the companies, the small companies that were uh, around then are, are here now. Um, and so you go, well, how come you are, John? And <laughs> I don't know. I think, I think it's very important, in, particularly in the fashion industry, that you don't get stuck in a rut. Um, and I've never became, um, I never bought into entirely um, any look. Like, obviously, I've been through uh, the 60s um, and then rock and roll 70s it was um hippies and then the disco era and and then the early 80s which were a washout and then came alternative things in the you know end of the 80s and the, but i was never really part of and never have been part of or bought into hook line and sinker sinker any particular look i think it's much better to stand back and watch um and see and be an observer with something as important as shoes which is really the foundation for the body i know that something that a lot of designers struggle with is form and function Mm -hmm. and how do you create that balance with your designs they have to uh, perform what they're made to do and i have done shoes that have been you know not very useful um but i do them more as art pieces or things that are also brand creators they just like that's a wow factor but yeah, things need to function and work. And as I move forward, um, you know, my challenge is how to integrate um, uh, modern technologies and new ways of doing things. So you know, I have a three D printer in my office, and um, we have uh, people 
working in 3D. And through that, the, the amount of creativity that can happen is so much bigger. But having said that, it's also much more competitive, and so can everybody else. So it's a double-edged sword. When you've designed your first shoe and didn't know how a shoe goes together, how yeah. did you come up with that? Was that through your partner that you were with at the time who taught you? or? Well, I was fortunate to know a guy who made shoes here in Vancouver. So the very first shoe I did, I made by hand here. And um, I just had such a passion to do it that I... I went to this guy and I we started putting it together and it wasn't about money it was just about getting this shoe out and the interesting thing is that that sh- that very first shoe I did um, I'm still selling today wow in a, in an iteration of it it's not the exact shoe but the influences that I thought of in 1985 I think it was um, are still uh, the energy of it, it still goes on. Mm-hmm. So I, I say that sometimes, you know, when we get ideas, they can be very powerful and can see us through um, the future, as it were. And we can actually, that I would say that that shoe changed my future. I've had a couple other shoes like that that have defined the brand or even who I am. And, and, when I've done them, they've never been current. They've never, uh, they've been odd and unusual, but on some level, they, they tweak people's minds. They, and, um, and they supported it and they bought the products. And um, I like to think sometimes about my shoes is that they're, they're like, they're, they're, um, they're like stories. Like it's like walking in a story, and my customers walk in a story that I've created. And so, as you know, there's messages sometimes on the shoes, and and I put that kind of energy into them. But I think when people put something on, I can see them. They go and walk up to the mirror. They, um, I like to think they could enter into the story that I've created for them. When you first began, it was just you creating the shoes, and you were the only one writing that story. Yeah. And to be expanding that story and bringing other writers into that, right. how has that been to manage? I, I, if, if I said it, it was easy, I'd be lying. It's difficult. <laughs> it's actually a pain in the butt, truthfully, um, because the company's expanded in part because, um, I think mostly, in fact, because... I've needed more volume to get the factories to make them, and over the t- over the time period, I've I didn't used to, I designed only a few of the shoes, and I bought some in, and I bought most of them in. And over the years, I've more and more created, I um, uh, and designed and put together every piece of every piece of footwear that's in the shops. And if you look at the sh- the, the um, it's a great variety of types of footwear, and they need to come from different factories. And so, um, I need volume. The brand is unusual that way; um, that it has so many um, types of footwear. Most designer brands or designer clothing and/or footwear end up having a certain kind of vibe or energy for a certain type of person, and they're mostly sold at wholesale to sh- stores around the world. And they fit into a category, and I have all these different categories. So that creates a logistical problem 
of always doing new things from different factories around the world. So the design team, has a, a lot of it has got to do with the process of getting the shoes made, mm-hmm. going to the factories, finding the factories, going to the factories, making sure that they're making the shoes the way we want them, bringing materials in from different places, gathering things. And that's um, so I need people to help me do that. And that's what they do. You've trained and hired and managed so many different people. And what do you think is the most important characteristic that young people must have to be successful as an employee? Well, I think, it's first of all, it's the companies that they're working for. And they need to understand the end, the end goal of the company. What's it actually trying to do? And um, I have problems... I've had problems, particularly in the design end of it, keeping everybody on the same page because as designers, they all have a, an opinion. Right. <laughs> and sometimes a strong opinion, and if they don't get their own way, they get all poopy and pouty. Um, and that's a challenge. So it's, and I would say it's keeping in mind what the actual end goal of this group of people is. And as a company, that's really all the company is, is it's a community or group of people working together for a goal and how well how much value are you adding to that and how do you fit in with everyone else so that would be the challenge and on the opposite side of that what advice would you give to young people who maybe don't want to work for other people and want to start their own businesses as you did um well first of all it's not easy (laughs) um and it requires a uh it, it requires really a strong vision strong strong vision to see over top of all the crap that's going on because the world isn't designed for things to be easy, actually. It's basically, we, I find myself spending most of my days ironing out crap around me. So it will become easier, but the crap is always there. So we're looking at, uh, to be successful, I think we're looking at um, almost like making a crooked way straight or straightening lines up so that the things can flow and work. And in order to do that, you need this vision again. You, you know, an entrepreneur or somebody on their own needs to have a strong vision of what it is that they're doing. It's, it's a matter of touching people's emotions and feelings. And I hope that's what I do in my, in my business is touch. I'm, I'm selling, in the end, I'm actually selling feel good. I'm selling emotion and a feeling to make you feel special or um, different. Because people can buy shoes anywhere. There's like a zillion shoes you can buy. You don't need to buy mine. So why are you doing it? Well, because it makes you feel good. When you have so many different things on the go, how do you balance your personal and professional life? You have a large family and yeah. you're always traveling. Yeah, that's a challenge. I think I think overall um, we, we need moral compasses in our lives. Um, at the very foundation of who we are, if you don't have that moral compass in place, You'll get pretty wobbly pretty quick. When you step out the door in the morning, you need to know that uh, simple things like, oh, um, I'm going to, uh, (laughs) whatever, I'm not going to have an affair today. I mean, it sounds really dumb, but it's true. You You need to make those decisions before you walk out of the door Um, because if you don't things will come along and you'll get just driven around by the wind that whatever comes that day and that you know that's hard to keep something on track when that happens for sure I watched you and Ruth perform at your uh, church Christmas concert in December and I'm wondering what role music and faith played in your life if that's part of the moral Ah, yeah well yeah faith has always uh, played a part for me I think it's what's kept it's a glue that's kept me together 
And I, in my day-to-day comings and goings, um, I rely on that as a, I I used the word compass before, but maybe as a compass again. Um, I I rely on it as a foundation. And one needs a time to uh, be alone, as it were. And then not just be alone with yourself, but listen to um, the creation within you. Because we're all created beings, I believe. And in that, um, you can hear and you can um, you can hear. Let's put that. There is voices. <laughs> you always see people going crazy or hearing voices, but... But there's a still, quiet voice within us that wants to speak to us. And I think that we need to take time to hear that quiet voice. And it's not done, it's never done in an aggressive way. It is never done in it's all about me way. It's actually the opposite. And, um, you know, it's done in kind of a contemplative way. Do you think that's part of the reason why you're so active and young and vital and how you keep that energy and zest for life is taking that time to relax and listen to those things yeah i think it's really it's really important otherwise it could very easy to rattle to bits and uh, obviously i'm I'm two things i'm one of my business and i have a business it needs to run it's got to have cash flow and all that kind of stuff that businesses need and on the other side um i have to come up i have to be creative and i know that's Mm -hmm. what drives a company so there are times when yeah I can get kind of um, lose it, as it were, what I feel a little bit lost in terms of direction. Am I going the right way? Am I? Yeah, it, it, um, it's a challenge. And then knowing that I've got, you know, whatever, a couple hundred employees that need a paycheck. And they kind of rely on this thing working. And I didn't start out doing that. It's not what I started out to do, to have this responsibility. I just was one, I just... Want, and I still do. I just want to make cool shoes that people like. But along the way, it comes all this responsibility. For sure. You've been in the business for more than 45 years. And as you look back and reflect on all of that, what do you think is one of the most important things you've learned? Um, honesty. Honesty with, with others and with yourself. Hmm. To analyze why we do things. Why do I do this? Why am I doing that? And it's hard to do because it's very difficult to always be honest with, with oneself, I find. Okay. You know, we have alternative uh we have little uh, little stories that are running around the back of our brains that are telling us things and we don't always stop to understand what those why those stories are there and why we're doing things so i would say honesty and fundamentally if you're not honest with your employees if you're not honest with your suppliers if you're not honest with yourself i don't believe that you can actually gather a group of people around you that will get behind what you're doing mm-hmm. and consumers and customers mm-hmm. they people smell a rat you know so i would say that's the most important thing is honesty um right the way through and integrity well thank you so much for sharing your insights with us thank you carly nice to nice to know you if you'd like to learn more about john and his designs you can head on over to fluvog.com or follow them on twitter and instagram at fluvog Thank you so much for joining us on another episode of Question Everything. I'm your host, Carly Sotis, and each week I bring you inspiration and insights from creative minds and experts in entrepreneurship, publishing, and design. If you enjoyed today's episode, you can download the show at iTunes, SoundCloud, and at citr.ca. 